0: I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas, and joining us, as always, from USA Today and MMAJunkie.com, it's your friend and mine, Ben Foulkes. Uh, Ben, because this is the week of Christmas, and I'll be out of town for it, we are recording this episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast early. It's Friday. We normally re- would not record until next Monday, uh, so feels to me like we're really going to jump on the news.
1: Or it feels like we're gonna take this problem that we have, where we record right before something big happens, and we're just begging to make it worse.
0: Yeah, I mean, I suppose that 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 could be that.
1: I was would... like, like, over the weekend, uh, the Fratell Brothers will sell the UFC to Donald Trump, and then on Monday, people will be like, "Oh, I can't wait to hear what the CME has to say about it," and we're gonna look like idiots.
0: That that would be pretty big. I would hate to miss that. We better put this out early then uh, tomorrow or tonight. I don't know. We'll put it out as an early Christmas gift for the kids, the kids at home, so that they uh, they don't think that we just ignored the the sale of the UFC
1: news. That's right. Here you go, kids.
0: Well, Godaddy.com is the flagship sponsor of the Co Main Event podcast. Uh, we are pleased that this and every episode of the CME is brought to you by GoDaddy. Right now, our listeners can get exclusive deals if you've got website needs. You can go to GoDaddy.com and enter the promo code EVENT, that's E-V-E-N-T, or click the GoDaddy banner from CoMainEvent.com, which is our website, and you'll get one new or transfer.com domain name for one ninety nine for the first year of registration. With, an adi- with additional years for nine ninety nine, dollars 99 uh, That's GoDaddy.com and the pro- promo code EVENT. Some limitations apply, so, you know, go there and check for details. Uh, three rounds, as usual. In the First, co-
1: wait, I feel like you're really getting better at that, reading that GoDaddy thing. Really? Yeah. It, I, it's not perfect, but I you're, changed you're improving. It.
0: We, we, I change it every week, and I changed it again this week, and uh, still haven't quite nailed it all no. the way through. You know what, though? You know what I detected in this one? What's that?
1: A sense of authority. Well, thank you. Yeah, Yeah. I feel
0: like I'm bringing some confidence to it. Yeah, yeah. I like to work up to it. Three rounds as usual this week for the co-main event podcast. In round number one, I think I speak for everyone when I say, God fucking damn it, Bigfoot Silva.
1: Damn it, Bigfoot. Fuck.
0: Fuck, man. And in round number two, Chris Weidman defends his title against Anderson Silva this weekend at UFC 168, which means after Saturday night, we'll never have to hear this again.
1: You and me! Yeah, why? Wow. <laughs> Oh, I even I hate myself when I'm doing it. <laughs> I like that. We
0: didn't even have to talk about that, though. I just figured that you would know what I meant. And you did. Uh, and in round number three, a lot of things have been said between Misha Tate and Ronda Rousey. To be- But to begin round number three, I'm going to ask Ben folks the question that we all really want an answer to flat fucking out. Does Misha Tate actually have a chance to win this shit? All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But right now, like we always do about this time, let's do some listener mail.
1: Listener mail.
0: The first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Liam Nelligan, and he writes, People who Aldo, he means Jose Aldo, took to decision. Thanks. Faber, he means Uriah. (laughs) Jesus. Hominick, he means Mark. Florian, he means Kenny. And Edgar, he means Frankie. People who Aldo assassinated mercilessly. Mendes, he means Chad. And then he says, no thanks on the rematch. Now, Ben, what this piece of listener mail is doing subtly, subtly now, is pointing out and underlining my go-to position, which is always cheat in a mixed martial arts fight. Yep. Because... You know, as we all know, Jose Aldo did, in fact, knock out Chad Mendes the first time those guys met. But I think, as we said last week on the on the podcast, not until he he grabbed the fence in a really, really egregious fashion, which uh a lot of people still bring up as uh, perhaps a turning point in the fight. But some people have apparently forgotten and are just going to advance as though uh, the, the second fight between second perspective fight between Chad Mendes and Jose Aldo
1: could not go any differently. Yeah. Well, okay. I have a couple thoughts on this first. I mean, I understand why people want to do the thing where we look back at method of victory and that then tells us how likely a rematch should be or how much people should want to see it. It's a close decision. It's easier to talk people into wanting to see a rematch. I don't know, man. I mean, Especially style-wise, like that matchup, that seems like one of the more interesting options out there for Jose Aldo. And that's the other thing is, okay, if not Chad Mendes, who who do you want to see him against? I mean, you know, Cub Swanson's look good at uh, featherweight, but also mercilessly annihilated or whatever, however you phrased it, uh, Swanson back when they were in the WEC. I mean, I, I guess short of Anthony Pettis dropping down and fighting him at, at featherweight, what else do you want to do with, with Jose Aldo right now?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, and first of all, I guess before we even get to this, Jose Aldo has to beat Ricardo Lamas when they fight in February. Uh, otherwise— I think we're all assuming that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, well, no, apparently we are, just out and out assuming that. But I think that you make a good point, uh n- not only that this fight is— uh stylistically a weird one for jose aldo and i think that that alone when combined with the uh with the fence grab makes you feel like that chad Mendes could have a, a, a better opportunity his second time around than he did his first time around not to mention the fact that uh chad mendez is just wrecking fools yeah it doesn't just seem like
1: he's gotten significantly taken better
0: motherfuckers since... out and he did go to decision in this most recent uh, fight with nick lance when i guess he had a sinus infection but he really put Tuberculosis, it on i heard for the <laughs> he had the black lung did yeah. he have miner's lung? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I, I would like to see the second fight just for that reason, and not to mention the fact that I don't think that uh, Team Alpha Male had had entered its Bang Ludwig phase yet. That's right. The first time that they fought, just right? Did
1: not take into account the Bang effect.
0: So, yeah, we have the bang effect present, uh, now in Team Alpha Male, which could, I guess, increase Chad Mendez's chances. So, uh, it's a, it's a rematch that I'm actually, uh, interested to see, even if, uh, Liam Nelligan is not. And I guess I see his point, but also I feel like a bunch of factors could be different here.
1: Yeah. I mean, a bunch of, bunch of ins and outs to consider here. Let's not just write it off just because Chad Mendes took a knee to the dome, man. Come on. And let's, uh, maybe we have the fight. Maybe not in Brazil and somewhere where they're willing to penalize a guy for grabbing the fence to avoid an obvious takedown. I think all the fights are in Brazil now. Isn't oh, yeah. That is part that part of it? the
0: 2014 okay. expansion? is They're moving the uh, the Zufa LLC home office to Curitiba. <laughs> yeah. Why Curitiba? Oh, it's just too, too weird in Rio, man. Too much stuff going on in the streets.
1: Yeah, too much of a distraction. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <A lot> Curitiba, <laughs> that's where you get down to business.
0: Second piece of listener mail this week comes to us from John Mariani. He writes, So the whole Mark Hunt, Stephen Morocco MMA junkie thing. It seems like a lot of fans are upset with Morocco and so is Hunt. I don't think Morocco did anything wrong. Where do you guys weigh in on this issue? Well, I don't think you're going to be surprised where we weigh in, <laughs> yes. but, uh, Ben, uh, the, you know, maybe you can catch people up just on the uh, timeline here. Uh, those, the, uh, those people, those listeners that maybe don't know uh, what we're talking about here with the Mark Hunt, Stephen Morocco feud that is currently lighting up. The MMA world.
1: Right. Well, I assume that if you're listening to this podcast, then you do know the, the basic story about Antonio Silva test positive for elevated levels of testosterone, uh, which then means, uh, since the USC was a regulator, I think what they decided to do was to get, change the draw result for Bigfoot to a no contest, uh, but leave it as a draw on Mark Hunt's record, uh, and then. What, give, really? Yeah. Uh,
0: wow, they're just writing their own rules down there. now. Absolutely.
1: Well, I mean, that's pretty clear by the fact that they secretly uh, gave a testosterone exemption to Bigfoot Silver. So, right, well, but we'll more, get to that more that on that in round one. Uh, but anyway, they took the fifty thousand dollar bus for Fight of the Night from Bigfoot and gave his share to Mark Hunt, who now, you know, plus his own share, gets a hundred thousand dollars for the Fight of the Night bonus. Now, intrepid journalist from uh, my employer. MMA junkie, Steven Morocco, he calls up Mark Hunt to get a reaction to his, you know, finding out, hey, you had an awesome fight with this dude. Then you find out he had elevated testosterone levels, was on, was on some of the synthetic juice. Um, but now you're getting his money. You know, what is, what is your reaction to this? Hunt Seems g- reasonable. Hunt gave him a reaction. They talked for a couple minutes. Stephen Morocco writes up a story, as you do when you're a reporter after you have just talked to somebody. And then Mark Hunt gets mad, gets on his Facebook page and rants about how he never, he didn't know it was an interview. uh, And he's really mad at uh, Morocco for for publishing that, Um, which leads me to wonder, okay, Mark Hunt. So a guy calls up, says, hey, I'm Stephen Morocco from MMA Junkie. You know, one of the leading websites that covers the sport that you compete in, which uh, a website that you have given interviews to in the past. He identifies himself as a reporter, tells you the, the outlet he reports from. Then he starts asking you questions about your business. What do you think he is asking those questions for?
0: Well, I guess Mark Hunt thought Stephen Morocco was calling him up uh, apparently at all hours because part of the Mark Hunt uh, retort was that this guy woke him up, that Stephen Morocco I
1: woke him up. don't think it was a middle-of-the-night situation. I mean, from talking to Morocco, I believe he said that uh, Mark Hunt had, he had fallen asleep during a massage oh. and had woken up during the, like, and, you know, when the phone rang, was woken up um, and said something to the effect of, you know, like, oh, hey, I just woke up. But, I mean, I don't think it was, like, dead middle of the night and he was just, like, confused
0: so wait a second now you're really painting a visual picture for us here you're telling me steven morocco's on the horn with mark hunt while mark hunt is face down on the massage table towel wrapped around his, his I backside if, i don't know if
1: that's the case
0: and like maybe a guy in, a, in an all-white suit just like working on his lumbar region
1: you're just you're all your knowledge of massage comes from cartoons doesn't it <laughs> yes pretty much <laughs>
0: uh yeah um so it's apparently Mark Hunt is under the impression that this reporter is just going to call him up with with, a, with news and then some questions about it just because he wants to chat with him? Is that yeah, what Mark that, Hunt thinks? That makes
1: no sense. I mean, especially – it would be one thing – like if it were like a man on the street story and you're come up to somebody on the sidewalk and be like, What do you think about President Obama? And like he launches into like a racist diatribe and then afterwards like, Well, I didn't know that was a reporter. I thought I was just having a conversation with a fellow racist. Like oh, but Mark Hunt, I mean, he is a professional athlete who talks to reporters pretty regularly. And uh, you know, he knows our site, he, he knows what we do, what we cover, and the guy starts asking you about, you know, these issues relevant to the, the sport that you compete in. You have to know that, that's, that he's asking because he intends to write a story. I mean, that's what a reporter does. He calls people up, he asks questions, and then he writes a story about it. You know, it, it for one thing, okay, fine. Mark Hunt doesn't seem to get it. I don't know. I mean, I guess he thought Morocco was calling just to chat about footy or whatever, uh, you know, make plans for their next book club.
0: I mean, the point still remains, that's Mark Hunt's mistake.
1: Yes. Not Stephen Morocco's. Mark Hunt's mistake all the way. Um the baffling part to me is how many uh fans at least – or people like on the underground who I saw who were just like, oh, man, what a scumbag move by that reporter. Oh, I can't believe that. Oh, man. Will you believe that guy did that? Oh, I'm never going to MMA Junkie again. Come on. Well, you, first, first of all, they're lying about that part. Yeah. yeah. They are. But I mean – I don't I, fine if you tell me Mark Hunt misunderstands the how that situation works I can believe that but these other people especially a lot of people who consider themselves to be experts on journalism merely by being consumers of it uh and are like oh no you got to you got to ask on everything can I quote you on that and is this on the record no that's not how it works we we start on the record right you have to ask to go off the record which Mark Hunt never did
0: right and you know if maybe if this was a like a, a fly by night uh, MMA blog that we had never heard of before. You might be able to make the case that it's plausible that the reporter or possible that the reporter pulled a fast one, but this is Steven Morocco. He's a guy that we all know. We've seen his name around a ton. He's one of the more, uh, sober and respected professionals, uh, in the industry when it comes to like breaking news and news reporting. And I'm, I mean, I'm and certain, was- even though I was not on the call, I was certain, I'm certain that he identified himself correctly, yes. that he told Mark Hunt who he was. And frankly, even as a guy who has been interviewing people for like 15 years, I have never called someone and then been like, okay, so just just so you're clear, this is an interview, <laughs> yes. right? Like, As soon as you identify yourself as a journalist and say, I was hoping I could ask you a couple of questions, right. at that point, everyone knows the deal.
1: Yeah, or at least they should. And I mean, again, like Stephen Rocco, really good journalist, and he is going to get to the bottom of a story. Sometimes people don't like that. Uh, and I find that if people... Uh, have uh, an averse reaction to Stephen Rocco's work, it's usually because they have stuff they don't want him to get to the bottom of. Right. Uh, but that's what makes him a good reporter. You don't want a guy like that looking into your shit because he will find out whatever there is to find out. He really
0: will. Well, yeah. Now I feel like we're starting to get into what's really going on. What's really going on. And that is probably that Mark Hunt wasn't totally thrilled about the way some of his quotes looked when they came out in print.
1: I thought he came off. Awesome. In I, that.
0: D- I did too. Like, I mean, if you know Mark hunt and you can imagine in your mind brain, like how it sounds when he is saying these things, I feel like it's really easy for the reader to put it all into context where he says the thing about uh TRT he says, Oh, I need to get, get on some of that shit. Yeah. Right. Uh, like clearly he's joking, yes. like he's being ironical about it. And I feel like we know that uh, when you read it, because we know mark hunt we know how how he says stuff i didn't i never took it for a moment to be like oh shit mark hunt is gonna go try to sign up for trt
1: right i mean i guarantee you
0: when mark hunt found out about it he thought that that made him look bad
1: i thought the tone of the article made that clear that yeah that's kind of mark hunt's like sarcastic approach um i also thought it was awesome uh when told that he was gonna get uh the bonus uh the quote I haven't heard anything, he told MMA junkie and then laughed. Hell yeah. <laughs> and then later, that's news to me. I haven't heard anything of it. I don't know what to say, honestly. I don't know what it is, but kudos to me for the bonus, eh? Like that's, so that's- you can just picture Mark Hunt saying that. I mean, that's awesome. And that's a, the shame here. If Mark Hunt would have just rolled with this, uh, instead of trying to like push back on it and be like, oh, I didn't know it was an interview, uh, he comes off like just, you know, just another awesome Mark Hunt thing where he just, you know, he fights this awesome fight. Then you tell him, you know, hey, the dude you fought was enhanced and you're getting more money. And he's just like, oh, hell yeah. Like, that's that's an awesome reaction. Like, it's a shame that he kind of ruined it by by doing this.
0: Yeah. Actually, the the way that it struck me the night that it all went down was it was kind of like a classic MMA turn of events where uh, one guy tests positive for elevated levels of testosterone. And somehow the other guy makes himself look worse as the night goes on, like, like Mark Hunt, like kind of made himself look worse than Bigfoot Silva does did. But uh, anyway, we'll talk about that in round number one. The next piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Ross Jarvis. He writes the new year is coming. And I was wondering what MMA wish you both had for 2014. Mine is simple. It doesn't matter who it is, Weidman or Silva, but I want to see Vitor Belfort's path of TRT related destruction finally ended with a humiliating knockout. Cheats like Vitor need to be kicked out of MMA in 2014. Uh Ross Jarvis pretty much took the words right out of my mouth here, my 2014 yeah. wish. Not really that Vitor Belfort gets horribly humiliatingly knocked out, as he says, but I just would like to see uh, maybe one of the big state athletic commissions like Nevada or New Jersey ban testosterone replacement therapy because I feel like... If one of those organizations did that, it would really send a strong message, and would really put promoters like the UFC, who do their own, uh, uh, you know, oversight when they go to places like Brazil and 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 Europe, and some places that don't have uh, MMA commissions, which I guess they plan to do even more of next year, it would really put them in the position where they would have to uh, make a choice one way or, way or another to sort of side with the all capital letters the government that we hear so much about, or you know, go their own way and allow uh, TRT and I. I think then at least we would have answers you know at least we would know which way our sport was going as of right now you know in the wake of this Bigfoot Silva news I feel like we're in this weird position of limbo where I feel like all of the people I talk to unless they are just unbelievable Vitor Belfort supporters think that Vitor Belfort is getting an unfair advantage by using TRT and yet he's sort of being allowed just to continue doing it. So uh, I guess my wish for 2014 would be to make that illegal and then uh, to sort of force the promoter's hand to make a decision about whether or not they're going to let their fighters do it.
1: Yeah, that would be my wish too. I mean, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this more when we get in round one and we talk about Bigfoot. Uh, But that was kind of the tenor of my column after the thing was how we have gotten ourselves clearly into this terrible gray area with testosterone, and it's it's just not working. Like, it's clear that this kind of stuff is just going to keep happening. Uh, and I, again, like, I feel like if you, what's the worst that happens if you ban testosterone? Like, if there are guys out there who are really like, oh, really? I can't do synthetic testosterone anymore? Then I retire. First of all, I don't see that fucking happening. I don't think there's too many. Like, Dan Henderson had to get off of it when he went and fought in Winnipeg. Seemed more or less fine. He, he went three rounds with Rashad Evans, right? I mean, it seemed pretty much fine. I, I just don't see that... The effects of getting rid of it across the board would be nearly as bad at, in, in multiple ways as continuing to allow it uh, and to just keep getting ourselves in these messes over and over again where, man, even when a guy gets caught – he can come up with, wow, oh, my doctor messed up my doses and you don't even know what to think. Is he a cheater? Is he not? Did he just have a shitty doctor? What the hell? Like it's just an intolerable situation that we've allowed to continue for so long. I still just keep waiting for the mainstream sports world to be like, wait, you're letting them do what? You're, and this is normal. Like, you, you've you got several professional cage fighters, men who go in there stripped to the waist to try and pummel another man into unconsciousness, and you're letting them inject synthetic testosterone? Why would you do that?
0: Yeah, and that I feel like is one of the huge dangers here where I feel like we really underestimate the degree to which it can hurt your company and hurt your sport if – just the guys who are on SportsCenter decide that your sport is a joke, right? Right. Uh, because right now you have the major outlets like ESPN kind of... uh jazzed up about mma at least publicly at least when they go on the air with with people like chris weidman and anderson silva and ronda rousey like they did this week in the lead up to ufc 168 uh primarily the people who host shows like SportsCenter center are just uh inclined to give you a little rub there like give you give you a little some props you know make you feel good put chris weidman on a funny uh sports center video that we saw this week uh you know and if they decide that that's not the way they want to go that they would rather like make your sport into a joke that they're going to to poke fun at on air, that changes the the mainstream culture of sports into into you know because fans see that and fans whether they know it or not like kind of follow the lead of the tenor of those broadcasts and I didn't don't think that MMA wants the sport to be treated as a, a joke or like a circus sideshow by those people
1: or even worse what happens if Vitor Belfort goes and kicks somebody upside the head and that person is in a coma for a week or something I mean right. when, well when that's obviously the worst case hurt.
0: scenario. Uh, if someone was killed by Vitor Belfort or somebody else who was on TRT, then I think you've got a full scale, potentially sport killing uh, uh, scandal on your hands. Absolutely. Well, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern for us in the future, you can write to us, go to the website comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That will get you in touch with us. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and segue into round number one right now. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now
1: your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas.
0: Well, fuck. Ben, in retrospect, we probably should have known that nothing gold can stay in this godforsaken sport, Uh, Bigfoot Silva and Mark Hunt went out and had the kind of fight a couple weekends back that made everybody say stuff like, we didn't know they had it in them, and who would have thought these guys would be capable of doing this kind of thing? Well, as it turns out, they weren't capable of it. At least one of them wasn't, as we learned on Wednesday of this week that Bigfoot Silva has tested positive for elevated levels of testosterone been handed the obligatory heavyweight nine-month non-suspension suspension, and stripped of his $50,000 Fight of the Night bonus. Uh, there are a lot of ins and outs to this story, which we are going to get to during this round. Uh, but first, I just want to ask you, how much, if at all, does this scandal now retroactively ruin one of the best fights of
1: the year for you? Uh, 60%. 60% retroactively ruined. The thing that bothers me the most about it Uh, is, like you said, one of the awesome things about that fight was, man, who would have thought that these two guys would be the one to go five awesome rounds and just battering the hell out of each other. Like even Mark Hunt said afterwards that he thought, uh, probably we'll go one or two rounds and then somebody will be asleep. Uh, And then if you go back and say, well, actually, you know how you thought that these guys really like overperformed what we thought their potential was? turned out one of them was kind of juiced up. Like It just hits directly at what seemed so awesome about it. Right. I mean, not that you can chalk it all up. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of like heart and determination and all that stuff that's not coming out of a syringe there for Bigfoot. Uh, but the fact that you just can't be sure how much was elevated testosterone levels and how much was the man himself – That just it just makes the whole thing kind of icky,
0: right? Yeah. And the surprise factor was one of the things that made this fight so special, right? Because we didn't expect this at all. Uh, And so it had it was, for lack of a better term, kind of a feel good story in mixed martial arts, really, if you discount the the physical trauma dealt to (laughs) both of the contenders, which we all did, right, which you have to do. Uh, But, uh, you know, for Mark Hunt and Bigfoot Silva to go out there and have this war that that had the UFC President of all people who 's watched more fights than all of us probably put together uh, just freaking out on Twitter and freaking out everywhere and acting like those two guys were the greatest of all time. And I think, you know, everybody got kind of swept up in the excitement about it. And then to have this happen uh, is really just a bummer, man. It just makes you feel sad because you, it, it's kind of like just yet another uh, story that comes out that makes you feel like we just can't have good stories in this sport. Like we can't feel good about shit because something then will come along to screw it up afterwards. And in this case, it's the fact that Bigfoot Silva tested positive for elevated levels of testosterone um you know regardless of whether or not you believe his uh his facebook post that he put up immediately after the news broke about how it occurred
1: right well and i think one of the things about this one that felt worse um was that it just felt so much more like, depressing rather than one guy was a cheater who had gotten away with something.
0: Right, because like when Chael Sonnen tested positive for it in the wake of that Anderson Silva fight where he or Chael Sonnen had a great performance that we all felt like, boy, I didn't know he had it in him back at that point, it was more uh, 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 angry, made it more angry than it did sad. And this yeah. is a different situation than that.
1: Yeah, well, and also, I think that it brings up one of the larger issues with the TRT stuff, which is, even when the guys' levels aren't too high, even, even when it's just we know that the guys are on TRT, um, but, you know, by the time they're tested, they manage to be below that red line, it it brings up this question like we always ask with Vitor Belfort. Could he have done this without it? And you'll never know the answer to that. You just can't because those guys always want to have it both ways where they say, oh, you know, this is that kick is skill. This is, you know, hours of work in the gym. Yeah, If it wasn't doing anything for you, then you wouldn't go through all this shit to use it. You know, and it's the same thing here where we're going to have to look back on a lot of this stuff and decide what do we do with it? Do we put an asterisk on it? Do we just say, like, all right, let's not talk about it at all because then we'll have to talk about the unpleasant parts that we don't want to bring up and we don't know how to resolve. Do we pretend that it's just not happening? Like, we have to do something with it and we all have to make that choice about what we're going to do with it. Uh, and, I mean, that's why it feels to me like this seems like a, a fork in the road for us, more so than even the Vitor Belfort stuff or the Chael Sonnen thing. Like, we really have to decide uh, what we think of this. Like, is it cheating? Is it is it enhancing? Because, it kind of makes no sense to be like, okay, well, this guy over here was just enhanced enough. He was enhanced to the point where we said he could be, but this guy enhanced a little too much, a little over that. Therefore, that guy's a cheater. The other guy is acceptably enhanced. Like, I mean, that's just a, a terrible area to be in, and we're going to have to keep having these problems where, like you said, who gets the blame for this? Is it Bigfoot? Is it the doctors? Uh, is, is it all of them? Is it none of them? I mean, we just don't know what to do with it.
0: Yeah, and we you know one of the things I had to do this week was sit down and and make my picks for the obligatory Bleacher Report like end of the year uh 2013 awards that every MMA site does. Uh and I started going through the list of stuff that I could pick and it really suddenly struck me how pervasive testosterone replacement therapy is in the sport now because like if you look at at an award like knockout of the year, well clearly the knockout of the year was Vitor Belfort spinning back kick on uh, Luke Rockhold. But I didn't want to pick that because I didn't want to celebrate Vitor Belfort for being on uh, testosterone replacement therapy. It's the same, like, if you think about Breakthrough Fighter of the Year, it's probably Vitor Belfort. Dude went out and and, uh, I think he got three wins this year. And uh, all of them were uh, were, uh, uh, just... extraordinary but again you don't want to give the guy the credit for it uh upset of the year is probably Antonio Silva knocking out uh uh Alistair Overeem and uh that one you felt okay about because uh o- Overeem had previously been popped for for testosterone and now we find this out about Antonio Silva makes you wonder about that fight
1: well i guess we might as well move to talk about though the the UFC was acting as its own regulator yes in, in Brisbane yes. uh Had this not come out, and for one, I guess we gotta say, hey, the UFC did do its own testing and caught one of its own guys, and the news came out, so. That's good. You know, it's not absolutely terrible. Popped Uh, one of their own. Yeah. However, they also secretly granted an uh, exemption to one of their own. Right. Yeah. You know, they weren't going to didn't, tell, didn't us. tell us about it until after the fact. No. And in fact, uh, again, to refer back to some of Stephen Rocco's reporting, uh, he had said that at the time of that event, he was at that event, and he asked uh, Mark Ratner uh, from the UFC if, if there were any exemptions for this event. Mark Ratner said no, um, which kind of seems like a lie. Uh, we would not have known probably that Antonio Silva had this exemption had he not gotten caught. Like the UFC would have been content to just kind of keep that one quiet. And how did he get the exemption? Well, you know, he got this doctor, the doctor who is the medical director of the Brazilian commission, um, who also then was hired as a liaison by the UFC, which seems just like a colossal con- conflict of interest. He can't be working for the people who supposed to be regulating the UFC and then also working for the UFC, especially in like a medical director uh, kind of position. And so then it makes you then even more curious about the whole Vitor Belfort situation, because remember the big issue there was, well, Nevada said they wouldn't give him an exemption because he's been popped for steroids in the past. Uh, and Brazil said, you know, not a problem for us. And then they also said the same thing with Antonio Silva, who was popped in 2008 for steroids. So that's, there's two former steroid cheats who they've given permission to use testosterone. Uh, and so at some point you got to wonder, do they just have a completely different view on this thing? And then if so, why is that the view that the UFC falls back on when they go somewhere else to act as their own regulator? I mean, there's just a lot of problems there. I mean, that's why a promoter can't act as their own regulator reliably.
0: Yeah, and I mean, the whole, and it seems like this happens every single time, but like the whole TRT story, it seems like every single one of them gets very, very confused and muddled almost immediately. Uh, And one thing that I think is that MMA's entire sordid history with TRT, one of the only things we can say for sure is that it casts a pretty goddamn bleak view of the doctors who administer it because we're either led to believe that they're treacherous, like in the case of Alistair Overeem, who was uh, allegedly injected Without his knowledge, by a, like maybe a nefarious doctor, poor guy, or they're incompetent. Like uh, we're led to believe that one of the two physicians who has, in a roundabout way, been fingered as the culprit in this Bigfoot Silva thing, because Bigfoot Silva was just uh you know ready to out and out and blame this guy who works for the commission and also is a liaison for the UFC and then that guy came out with his own very weird explanation saying that he was merely just a middleman for the guy who's actually Bigfoot Silva's doctor
1: right which seems just bizarre especially why would Bigfoot Silva be under the impression that this guy was his doctor if he wasn't I mean that's have you ever been in a situation Chad where you were confused about who your doctor was like where you thought somebody was your doctor and they were like that man is not my patient I mean it seems usually like it's pretty clear yeah, the situation only on my wedding night yeah well and then you know the explanation from the doctor dr marcio Tenor. i don't know if that's how you pronounce his name but uh his explanation was no i was never his doctor i was just relaying messages from his doctor to him which why why wouldn't his doctor just talk to him directly that doesn't make
0: any sense Right, man. These guys are professional athletes, Uh, professional athletes that were led to believe are compensated, compensated famously for what they do. Like if these guys are rich, professional athletes, you're not dealing with a walk in clinic type situation here.
1: Right. You like you. Some of them are actually dealing with walk in clinic. You ought to be
0: going to the best doctors in the in the world that you can afford. And like a guy who is your personal physician and sports medicine guy who would never in a million years either inject you with testosterone without your consent or inject you with too much like you you need to be going to a. especially if you're engaging in this kind of uh medical treatment you need to be going to a guy who is not gonna fuck this up man
1: <laughs> yes well and you know the, this brings up another aspect of this but then that somebody mentioned uh, in a question for my last twitter mailbag which is you know bigfoot silva he does have some medical issues going on he's got the. Uh, Acromelogy? Is Nailed that it? it, yeah. I think yeah. he just uh, crushed <laughs> well, it Well, and he had a – apparently he had a cyst that was affecting his pituitary gland and his hormone production. Mm-hmm. He had that removed. Then he had to go on some medication after that, which affected his hormone production further. So then that – and that's their explanation for why he needs testosterone now. I mean, take away let's, – let's ignore for the moment that past steroid bust, which they also vehemently protested, if you'll recall. Um, say that he is that rare guy – Who is like an actual legitimate candidate for testosterone replacement therapy? Say he's like the only guy who needs it. Then he gets screwed by the fact that it already has such a bad name in the sport, for one thing, and that these Mickey Mouse doctors don't know exactly how much to inject him with. They inject him with some, see how it looks. Oh, that didn't work. Let's give him twice as much next time (laughs) and we'll just, yeah, (laughs) well, that was too much. Let's pull back, you know, like they're doing that stuff with him, like leading up to the fight, like up until like a week before the fight. Like if that's all the case, then he is being like colossally and unfairly screwed by the whole situation. Yeah, and
0: he ought to sue those guys if that's the truth. The thing that that I think is like... Man, I don't know if you will ever be able to convince me in a million years, regardless of of what various athletic commissions decide in the future. I don't know that you will ever be able to convince me that a professional athlete who is currently engaged in a fight camp for an upcoming MMA fight can be suffering from chronically and debilitatingly low testosterone to the point that he needs medical intervention and not know it, right? Because that's sort of like what all these guys say, like when they have to explain what's going on, every single one of us is like, oh, well, you know, I was training for this fight, I went in and saw my doctor and he said my levels were low, so they had to give me an injection like, there is none not a single one of these guys maybe with the exception of Chael Sonnen has ever, like, made their need for testosterone sound like an actual debilitating condition that needs medical treatment Yeah, and I don't know that you'll ever convince me that a dude, especially a 285 pound heavyweight needs this treatment
1: if without it, he is still able to compete as a professional fighter. And compete well, because they would have us believe that he was not on this uh, at least did not have permission to be on it uh, when he fought Alistair Overeem, for instance, right? Where you know he knocked him out in the third round. Great come from behind performance. I mean, you're telling me that the guy had just a crippling testosterone deficiency? Everybody, their level, everybody's levels were low in on that one. Yeah, <laughs> poor see, bastards. We didn't, we didn't know how fair that fight was. <laughs> That's right. I mean, that must must have been the most level playing field you can possibly get. Forget trying to get these guys to jack up their levels to where they can just be in the quote unquote normal range. Here, let's see what happens if we get two guys with just these almost non-existent testosterone levels in there in the cage together.
0: Now, to me, one of the weirdest parts of all this, and you talked about it a minute ago with the doctor and kind of explained the situation, but this is now the second time that a dude has come out publicly and referred to the person that he got his testosterone from as a quote unquote UFC doctor. Right. Because remember Rampage Jackson did the same thing. Yes he did before
1: he fought in Tokyo.
0: Right. Sort of uh, infamous interview with I think fighters only where uh, he went kind of on and on about how this UFC doctor hooked him up with
1: TRT and how great it was. And about how he might have had to pull out of that fight in Tokyo. But hey the UFC doctor supplied him with testosterone and what do you know he was able to make the date anyway.
0: Right, and that is part of what I was talking about earlier when I say that all of these stories uh, just get really confused and muddled in a hurry, and we don't know uh, what the, the real situation is and we don't know if Bigfoot Silva is confused we don't know if Rampage Jackson was confused uh and we don't know who these medical guys that they're seeing are and we're like, confused yes we are confused and to me it just underscores the fact that uh we need to get this out of the
1: sport man it's just it's it's too much at this point and you'd think that the UFC would be coming around to that viewpoint as well and we thought they were yeah they seemed like they were and I mean this is again one of the the things we always hear about the, with the like Zufa's version of the UFC creation myth uh, is how when they bought the company they ran toward regulation uh, and this is the one instance of like the modern era that I think really pokes a hole in that because this is a, a situation where the UFC is in a, a another country acting as its own regulator secretly approving exemptions for testosterone hiring a a doctor who works for another commission to uh, oversee it, I mean, that is not running toward regulation. That's doing like your own regulation and apparently doing kind of a half-assed job of it because you're still doing enough to test the guy and catch the cheater, but you're also enabling the cheater in the first place.
0: All right, well, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll go on to round number two. Ben,
1: what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me for this week? Well, Jed, my Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Uh, I don't know if you saw this that uh, apparently the Sarah brothers... Uh, Mm, I did see that uh, Matt and and Nick Sarah there's a rift in the family
0: yeah sad I saw the post on the uh, uh,
1: underground well Nick Sarah claims that uh, you know he and his brother co-founded their jujitsu school and then uh, under cover of darkness he says Matt Sarah changed the locks on him yeah you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Change the locks on this his This brother. one just makes me sad. Come on, you're brothers, man. Right. You got some brothers. I mean. Just
0: hug it out or something? This is a situation where so far we've only heard Nick Sarah's side, so I think you want to wait and hear at some point what Matt has to say for himself in a post that he probably will put up on the UG, and hopefully we'll end with a token quote like Nick did <laughs> yes. in his slammed a J.R.R. token quote at the bottom, which when I saw it made me yell, nerd fight, when I was in my office all by myself.
1: Just are you fucking kidding me? Get these guys together over a plate of ZD or something and have them settle it are you fucking kidding, are you kidding me kidding
0: me. well ben this week my are you fucking kidding me is an easy one because i'm sure that you have seen alpha male shit.com yes I have. the new war machine website just advertising, in time for christmas just in time for christmas so i know what i'm getting you advertising his i guess new clothing line alpha male shit And when you log on to the website, alpha shit.com, you see a picture of war machine and a headline that says support saying, fuck you to the mediocre and buy some shit. And then if you click on the buy shit, uh, Logo or link, which you, of
1: course you're gonna do, right, Yeah,
0: you go into the shop where you see some shirts that I could only describe as mediocre. Uh, <laughs> the first of which says Alpha Males ABC t shirt, and the ABC stands for alcohol, bitches, and sip- sipionate, which is a kind
1: of testosterone that you can take. Alpha male, shit. Because, of course, why? Look, nothing says I am an alpha male like uh, needing supplemental testosterone, right? Are you fucking kidding me, dude? com. It's the greatest. I love Are it. fucking kidding me? I noticed, though, it seems like uh, Christy Mack has uh, her own little, the, the porn star Christy Mack. That's her little uh, section here on the website. Yeah. But I had seen somewhere on the UG that, that they broke up. And not I was really? briefly really happy for Christy Mac. to well, Yeah, do that. that would
0: be the best thing she could possibly do. You could also click on the link here and go to ChristyMackStore.com if you're not worried about malware or whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, everyone from me this Christmas is getting a Christy Mac Run DMC logo trucker hat. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. We'll be right back with round number two. That starts right now. It's less likely than James Tony taking someone
1: down. More improbable than the UFC coming back to your town. But Chad, Chad and Ben are the
0: co main event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast.
1: Well, Chad, Las Vegas, Nevada, December 28th, UFC middleweight champion Chris Weidman and Anderson Silva are going to do it again, brother. That's right. I guess the big question is, is Anderson Silva going to go around there and fuck around and get himself knocked out again? Um, you know, the, I guess that that's probably the leading
0: point of speculation leading up to this fight is how Anderson Silva is going to approach it, because obviously we saw him come out at the in the first fight and sort of uh, make a face for the entire time, like he wasn't concerned about what was going on, which, as an aside, does not mean that he was winning, because no. I know a lot of people, a surprising number of people, even professionals in this industry, are taking that uh, that track that, oh yeah, Anderson Silva, and totally that, no. winning. No, not even close. Anyway. uh, uh, Yeah. So we wonder how he's going to take this second fight. Will he be more focused? Will he be more motivated? Is he going to go out there like he's got something to prove and just obliterate Chris Weidman in the way that we saw him obliterate people like Rich Franklin and Chris Lieben early in his UFC career? And here's what I'm going to say. And this is just a wild guess. I bet not. I bet this dude comes out and fights this fight exactly like the first one. Yeah. Why? Because he's Anderson Silva, and that's what he does. Not to mention the fact that at this point, I think the thing that he is going to want to prove to us, maybe, is that he can go out there and fuck around like that and still win.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, what I wonder about this one is one of the things that has always seemed like – one of Anderson Silva's greatest strengths and one of the things that really gets into opponents' heads is that just overwhelming confidence that he has that allows him to fuck around like that. And that allows him to, you, you know, the Anderson Silva thing that he would do before was come out, take 60 to 90 seconds to, to look at you, to gauge what you were going to do. And like, a, you know, his brain, like some kind of fighting computer would just spot the, the flaws in your your system and then attack. Right. And that was, you know, the most exciting Anderson Silva, the one that was just kind of like, OK, let's see. Oh, you're going to do this. OK, oh, that's what you're going to do. OK, uh, let me see. Add it all up. Carry the one and boom, you're knocked out like that was always a fun thing to watch. It makes me wonder if he still has that confidence to be able to do that after getting knocked out. I mean, because for one thing, not only do you know that this guy can beat you, you also know that you can be knocked out now. Where before, you know, he never seemed concerned about being hit in the head, never seemed concerned about, you know, putting himself in bad situations. And, you know, as long as he could get the other guy to attack, uh, that was all that he wanted. He was never really worried about, you know, the effects on him now, he has to be worried about that. It makes me wonder if you can still be Anderson Silva and fight like Anderson Silva now that you know there, there's been a little hole poked in your armor. Yeah, I think that that's a
0: good point. And uh, obviously, like we have no idea how Anderson Silva is going to psychologically rebound from something like this because, frankly, we've never seen it happen before. Well, I, we I heard that he back though. Well, yeah, he does, he does claim that he back, but you know, we've never seen him get put in this situation before. We don't know how he's going to react. And that is maybe one of the things that that's most interesting about this fight. However, you know, I would bring up as a, uh, as an, I guess, uh, an aside to your point about how he, you know, has sort of changed his fighting style over the years to to become this guy that kind of goes out there and gets in people's heads and then exploits them. Like how much of that, if any, do you think has to do with his age? And like, maybe he's not the guy that he was, uh, back in the day when, when he could make Forrest Griffin, you know, look like he was in the matrix and, and when he could come out and blitz James Irvin in like 58 seconds or whatever, like has, has Anderson Silva, who is now 38 years old, uh, going on 39, has he lost a step? And so um, maybe he, unbeknownst to us, he's been compensating for that in a way. Because if you look at his recent performances, you know, he be, he does beat Chael Sonnen uh, in twice, you know. But those fights, he, he started to look a little bit more human than he had in the past.
1: Well, you also, uh, well, something that has to be mentioned, like especially as you just reeled off some names there, was that, you know, Anderson Silva sure had that long run of dominance, but it's not like he was always fighting awesome dudes. I right. mean, some of it could be age, some of it could be now he has a, a really tough and bad style matchup uh, in a guy like Chris Weidman, who is younger and can do a lot of things well. Uh, and, you know, it's great to go back and look at like that, you know, fade away knockout of Forrest Griffin. Uh, who definitely not the most talented fighter. Uh, you know, the, the finish of Stefan Bonner, who the, the best thing he had going for him, it seemed, you know, besides steroids in his system, was that he was just a tough dude, and that was kind of the promise of that one. Or, you know, for Christ's sake, fucking James Irvin, you know, tall as and, and and Patrick Cote. Like, I mean, though it, it's not just that, like how many people you beat, it's how good they were. And so it could just be, hey, you know, maybe we, and even he, uh, believe something about him that was inflated by some of these fights against dudes who weren't that awesome and definitely he beat some great dudes in there too you know Yushinokami, Okami Shail Sonnen both tough middleweights uh, but uh and, and Vitor Belfort, you know, that, you know, he has some great quality wins in there, but he also has some that are kind of padding that run. So it's possible you add that up. Uh, he is getting a little older. And then Chris Weidman seems like he's just really damn good.
0: Yeah. And a guy who's not going to get psyched out by your shenanigans. You know Especially what I mean? Especially not
1: going to get psyched out about it now.
0: Uh, Chris Weidman is, is one of those guys who, uh, You know, I think that he's a. I I like Chris Weidman. I think that he's a really talented fighter, but he also seems like the kind of dude that's not going to get psyched out by your bullshit simply because he's not going to consider it that much. You know, like he's Chris Weidman is one of these dudes that seems like he could walk up to a gorilla and knock him out because he would never consider that he couldn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's just gonna go. Yeah. Whereas a normal person hog. would be
1: thinking, what if I hit this gorilla and then what happens in the, uh, seven seconds right after that? Yeah, yeah. Where that is a kind of strength to have, especially in the business of professional cage fighting, uh, is to not even consider the possibility that you might lose or that, like, the terrible things that sometimes happen to people in that cage could happen to you one night. Uh, and that does seem like a, a psychological strength that he has going for him. However, the flip side of that, I think, is that Chris Weidman doesn't seem like he is going to be a superstar no matter what happens. Yeah. And it does seem like he's going to have a lot of pressure, probably the most pressure on him in this fight. Because, hey, Anderson Silva loses and we'll just say, well, he was great and then he got old uh, and kind of passed the torch. And, hey, you know, you can't do it forever. He was in his late 30s, and he still, no matter what happens here, Anderson Silva goes down as a legend. However, Chris Weidman loses. Then it looks like, well, Anderson Silva screwed around in the first fight, and he paid for it. Then he got serious, you know, and he came back in there, and he whipped the dude's ass, and, right. and all was, you know, order was restored. Right. Uh, and that so, could totally happen. Could totally <laughs> happen. Well, and see, the thing is, say Chris Weidman wins. Then he solidified it. It was no fluke. Chris Weidman is your your UFC middleweight champion. Still just doesn't seem like even though we recognize that he's a great athlete and a, you know, a great fighter, it still doesn't seem like he would get that allure necessarily to rub off on him.
0: Right. Well, and especially not right away. Uh, you know, Anderson Silva's uh, legendary status was sort of built was sort of built over time. He's had this unbelievable run with the middleweight title and also, frankly, built on his like highlight reel abilities. Uh, Chris Weidman is a guy who. You know, while very talented and seems to be a really complete fighter, he's not necessarily a guy who's going to go out there and reel off, uh, you know, action movie style highlights like Anderson Silva did. He's got a couple. He's got a couple, but like, he's not yet regarded as a knockout artist. He's regarded as more of like a a wrestler who also has really good submission skills. Um, so I think it's going to be harder for him to get over. I mean, certainly, I don't mean, I don't know, I don't know that it would even be fair for us to expect anybody to get over in a, in a way that's similar to how Anderson Silva did. But even for Chris Weidman, like, he's a guy that, that, you kind of think it might be difficult for him to really connect with fans and media and become this big superstar guy, because frankly, he's a man of few words. He's not uh bombastic or over the top. Uh, he kind of takes it all in stride. He's one of these guys that doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. Uh, doesn't seem to consider a lot of the options. And uh, you know, is a guy who doesn't knock you out in an interview setting. So I think that like, he's one of these new guys in the UFC that, is really really talented but at the same time also hasn't fully gotten over with fans yet because uh he doesn't give us a lot except for what he does in the cage
1: yeah which you know you could say should be enough but yeah i mean the thing with anderson silva is not only does he have that kind of just like that mystique that that like jedi like power uh in part because he doesn't really speak much english and so he was always kind of at a remove from us like that only like uh, increase that, that allure. For, right. Like, it was, you know, this, this guy coming over here, you don't really ever know what he's saying or how seriously he's taking your questions. And, you know, that, that kind of, uh, thing really worked well with all the stuff that he already had going on. Like, it just matched his fighting style really well and created this idea that we created about him, whether it's right or wrong. With Weidman, if it just turns out that he's a, you know, A big, strong, fast, tough dude from Long Island who who packs his lunch pail and comes to work. Uh, that's cool, but it seems like it's hard to sell pay per views that way.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's maybe what I was trying to say. Uh, well, well let, let's talk about this. The first fight obviously was largely viewed as a fluke with the way it ended, which, uh, made me fucking irate when it happened because it wasn't a fluke. Uh, now we go into the second fight. Chris Weidman comes in at somewhere between a plus 125 to plus 145 underdog. Uh, what do you think happens this weekend? Is this one that we can even predict? Because frankly, I have no goddamn idea.
1: You know, I, nothing would surprise me, really. Um, but I do think that uh, there's really not a whole lot of reasons to think that Chris Weidman won't win the rematch. You know, because I think that Anderson Silva is, is not going to come out there and fight a completely different fight. I mean, I think Anderson Silva, that you know, the die is kind of cast for him in a lot of ways. And I think that uh, the... If there was anything working against Chris Weidman, you know, big picture wise in the first one, it was that he'd never been in that situation before that, you know, title fight main event of a huge card. There's a lot more media responsibilities. And I remember hearing that one in the week of that, you know, he wasn't, maybe he wasn't terribly comfortable with that stuff yet. Anderson Silva had been through it. He knew what it was like that, you know, to be in Vegas and to be, you know, the, in the spotlight for that whole time. And so was not letting it get to him. Well, now Chris Weidman went through it. And now you know you got to think that it's only going to be easier for him a second time.
0: Yeah, I, I I sort of agree with you. I think that if the Anderson Silva who obliterated Forrest Griffin and uh, you know obliterated uh, uh, Rich Franklin and, and and James Irvin and back in that those days when he was really at the height of his powers, if that dude shows up with the eye of the tiger, well, you might see Chris Wyman have a have a problem. Although I and that
1: could happen, but I think it's sort of like the minority. Uh, Option that could happen A part of me, though, wants it to happen because, man, that's an awesome story. Anderson Silva shows up, says, you know what? It's time to get serious. I back goes in there, uh, you know, looks at Chris Weidman for 60 seconds and then annihilates him, jumps up on the cage and freeze frame. Roll the credits. You know, like that's yeah. the the ending of the Anderson Silva story in the perfect Hollywood version. Uh I mean that that would be incredible.
0: Yeah, and it would also shut the mouths of fools like me, because I feel like I've been reminding people how <laughs> old Anderson Silva is it would, for like three years. No, we totally wouldn't shut my mouth, but <laughs> it would uh it would it would uh be right in my face. Well let me ask you this before we wrap this up. Does Anderson Silva retire this weekend no matter what happens?
1: Well, you know I would kind of like to say yes no matter what happens, but if he does win this one you got to think that the UFC would be thinking rubber match, right? Well, I mean, that's that was actually going to
0: be my follow-up question because obviously the UFC has already come out and say Vitor Belfort is the middleweight contender no matter wh- what happens, the number yeah, one middleweight contender. But come on. Yeah.
1: Well, okay, yeah, I'm sure that the, the UFC could could do – A big show and have make a bunch of money if anderson silva and vitor belfort go at it in a soccer stadium in brazil of course we're going to spend the weeks leading up to that uh shouting about uh, our concerns right uh, with the brazilian commission uh but you know yeah and you're probably right there that but i mean then that just tells you like well they would talk him into doing that fight and he wouldn't retire i mean i would think it would be awesome if he came back won that one and and said that's it i'm out of here you know kind of the the reason showed by gsp there that hey you can you can step back and know when enough is enough at least for you right now uh but if he gets beat then i would definitely like to see him retire especially if he gets knocked out again but you know how it is with these fighters man
0: Well, and that's one of the things about Anderson Silva. We have no idea what he's thinking. Like if he, if he did walk away this weekend and and we never saw him again, I don't even know how much you could ever say we even knew about the guy.
1: Well, and if he did say that he was walking, like say he got knocked out and he was like, well, that's it for me. I'm done. Would we even believe that? Because he said after the last one that he was done fighting for the belt. Chris is the champion now. uh, And yet here we are. So, you know, and that's why I thought that GSP's uh, uh, retirement was so, or not even retirement, but just, you know, leave of absence announcement was so great because it's the only way you can really believe it coming from a fighter. If he says I'm leaving, maybe I'll be back. Maybe I won't. Right.
0: Well, in the event that Chris Weidman wins, or I mean, Chris Weidman loses and Anderson Silva wins, I hope that Chris Weidman gets a rematch and not Vitor Belfort because it'd be hard for Chris Weidman to win that first fight in any more emphatic fashion than he did and then was forced to turn around and come back and fight the same guy all over again. Obviously, that happened because Anderson Silva is the greatest of all time and had been the middleweight champion for so long. But, man, it would feel like a screw job if you were Chris Weidman if you lost this fight and they didn't give you a rematch when they had just given the other guy
1: a rematch and they were going to have him go off to Brazil to fight Vitor Belfort. Yeah, but there's a certain logic in it. I mean you're you're champion for uh a long time, then yeah, you you should be guaranteed that rematch if you lose it, if you if you want it. Uh you know, if you are champion, don't defend it at all, and then lose it, harder to stake that same claim.
0: Well that's gonna do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. <laughs> are you fucking kidding me. Hey, ben, way back in listener mail we talked about Chad Mendez going up against Jose Aldo again and our shared belief that their second fight could end far differently than their first one did does the same thing ring true of Misha Tate this weekend against Ronda Rousey do we have any reason to believe uh, after all of this trash talk we've seen in a full season of reality television behind promoting this fight do we have any reason to believe that this one ends any differently than the first one
1: You know, I think that there is some reason uh, to believe it will. I think if Ronda Rousey wins, then you got to say armbar. And you can also see that, you know, Misha Tate's pride in not wanting to get armbarred could make her uh, mess around and and let something terrible happen to her joints again. However, I'm going to say if there is a time to beat Ronda Rousey, it's now. it's, It's now when she has so much else going on. She just comes off, you know, a movie set and goes into kind of an abbreviated uh, training camp, and even then still has a lot of media responsibilities, a lot of stuff going on, uh, maybe not handling all of it super well. It seems like your best chance to beat Ronda Rousey is for her to be distracted and not in a great mental state. And to get her before she has a ton more experience where she starts to round out her game and will be even scarier. Yeah,
0: she's certainly got a lot of stuff going on. Let me tell you why I think Ronda Rousey might lose, and that is because of the MMA gods. You know if the MMA gods are going to fuck around and take from you the woman that you started the division for the champion that you appear to want to prop up above all other contenders, uh, the MMA gods are going to make that happen against someone who's not even a legitimate number one contender. And right. that in this fight is Misha Tate, because I feel like the forgotten element in this fight is that Misha Tate not even supposed to be there, man. It's supposed right.
1: to be Kat Zingano. We got a question on uh, listener mail that we didn't use, but uh, that made me think of that uh, from Tim Monkey. Uh, a lot of accent marks in that yeah, one.
0: Yeah, no, there's an umlaut there, and also and then, I believe an accent mark on the e. I figured he was just fucking with us. You
1: can do an you can do an umlaut or the accent mark. You can't do them both. All right, uh, but he yeah asked that question. Is it me or has everyone totally forgotten that Misha Tate is not the number one contender for the throne? Uh, Kat Zingano seems to have forgotten. No, I, I had kind of forgotten that to tell you the truth. Yeah, I was. I actually was thinking about that earlier this
0: week. I was like, man, I wonder. I wonder what Kat Zingano's doing. Is anyone talking to her? Like, is she? Is she? Uh, gonna be there like is she gonna get in the cage and 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 uh ruin a special night
1: yeah ruin somebody's special night yeah, you know, but I I really had kind of forgotten that just because the the Ultimate Fighter thing and you know the it seems like that Rousey Tate rivalry it just that that seem those names seem to fit so well together and seem familiar to us as fight fans that yeah I, I can I can kind of see that uh, but as far as you know is there a reason to think Ronda Rousey's gonna lose I mean I I do like your appeal to the fucked up sense of humor of the MMA gods uh, that they just, you know, we can't have nice things. We can't have have superstars laying around before something bad happens to them.
0: I got a goat out back that Saturday night I'm going to sacrifice that right before the event just to try to appease their rage. But (laughs) you never know with those
1: guys, man. Well, you know, I also, though, wonder, like, with Ronda Rousey, since we still, you know, she doesn't have that much cage time still. uh, And her game seems pretty straightforward. I mean we see these videos where she's working on her boxing game. She seems to be trying to close some of those gaps there. But if you go back and you look at that first fight, uh, Misha Tate was doing really well when she was, you know, throwing straight punches and and throwing them more in volume instead of trying to knock her out. It seemed like she got, you know, a little bit encouraged by her early success landing and then was looking for that one big punch to end it and started coming out with like those more looping blows and that's when she got taken down. Uh, And, you know, escaped from one arm bar, at least. You got to think, though, that, again, like, if there's a time to beat Ronda Rousey, it's before she has enough experience to close some of that.
0: Yeah, and I think there's there's still a lot of reason to believe that she's a pretty one-dimensional fighter. It just so happens that that one dimension that she has is that sort of, like, weird, uh, virtuoso... um, uh, like you've been doing it your whole life you don't even have to think about it judo like she's uh Um, you know, her, the way that she does those judo takedowns, it's just also instinctual for her. She's like four and five steps ahead of the other person. Uh, when you, once she gets in that clinch game, uh, like four and five steps ahead of what they think is going on in order for her to set up those throws. And that I think is the kind of thing that if you're just a a random MMA fighter, you know, not even just Misha Tate, but anyone really, uh, that's the kind of thing that I don't think you can ever catch up with. Like, I don't think you can ever, uh, g- get to the point where you're going to be able to think and move as quickly as Ronda Rousey once you get into that, into judo distance, I guess you would say. So you really like, you know, I, I don't know that I'm saying anything that's going to surprise anybody here, but you got to stay out of there. Like yeah. that's the
1: whole key. Yeah, that is the thing is that is you can't get into playing judo with her. But you also, uh, if you're Misha Tate, I think you don't really want to get into trying to take her down and put her on her back either because she can arm bar you from there or sweep you from there. Right. I mean, it seems like that's, especially for a fighter like Misha Tate, like that's kind of the tough thing is that because that we've seen that from Misha Tate before that when she gets in trouble, when things aren't going her way, uh, she thinks takedown and that is also one of those instinctual things maybe not for the better but that's one of those things where you can look at certain fighters and be like what do they do what do they reach for where's their comfort level like where where do they go when they are worried and they need to feel somewhere like they're safe Misha Tate wants to go to the, the takedown and get top control and kind of then breathe and reevaluate. and I don't think that that will work against Ronda Rousey I mean her best bet is to stay at distance and to tr- think that you know she can beat her with hands and and I don't know that I really see Misha Tate doing that.
0: Yeah, it's a it's it's a possibility, but again, like over five rounds, at some point you got to think that Ronda Rousey is going to be able to suck her into. Uh, that the area where she's just better than everybody else. And once she gets you with that hip toss, she's already inside control. And then you're essentially getting armbarred. Uh, but you know, me, you know, me should take a surprise. Us. She could come out there with a striking game. That's just uh, far more advanced and, and better tuned than, than Ronda Rousey, because we just haven't seen much of that from Ronda Rousey. Uh, let me ask you this though. Like to the extent that the Ronda Rousey brand had been previously established by the UFC, how much luster do you feel like has come off of it, uh, from this sort of disastrous turn on the ultimate fighter. Like, do you think that that will haunt her in the, in the way that it maybe haunted Matt Hughes? Uh, Like he, he was never really a fan favorite again after that, that season of the ultimate fighter, or will people see Ronda Rousey do amazing things in the cage and sort of uh, forget the antics that we, that we saw during season, I guess, 18 of this show.
1: You know, I think that this could be one of those situations where hardcore MMA fans who remember the ultimate fighter or remember some of the, you know, Ronda Rousey's uh, not so great moments uh, in the the MMA media spotlight. They might always remember that, um, but you've seen how a couple days after she had that bad uh, interview with Misha Tate uh, at the Ultimate Fighter finale, then she goes on Jimmy Kimmel and hits the the charm switch, right. and it comes right out. I mean, I think she can still do that. Like she can still charm uh, the the mass audience. Uh, When she wants to, I think that maybe it's sometimes that just in front of these MMA jerks, she doesn't necessarily want to or doesn't feel the need to even try. And I don't think that it's even necessarily a bad thing, like if people feel two ways about Ronda Rousey. I mean, I think the thing that she brings to the table, the same thing she brought to the table when she kind of instigated this whole rivalry with Misha Tate back when Tate was a Strikeforce champion and Rousey kind of jumped the line uh, to get that fight with her. Uh, is that Ronda Rousey forces you to feel something about her. Like, right. like we were saying uh, last week's show that we always used to say about women's MMA is that everybody's just too motherfucking friendly.
0: That is not her problem. No,
1: it's not. And she really injected that into women's MMA at a time when it really needed it, and we see now the the result. I mean, she's, she's been the best thing to happen to women's MMA. So I, I don't really think that that's necessarily a problem. I mean, I, some people are going to be turned off by her. Some, of the, some people are going to, you know... Love a uh, Diaz brother and a beautiful fucking body, uh, and they're all about it. Nobody's going to be in the middle, which I think is that's that's the best thing Ronda Rousey has going for. Her.
0: Uh, can you name any other fights on this card besides these two?
1: Josh Barnett, Travis Brown. Oh man. yeah,
0: that's happening. Yeah. Shit, I totally forgot about that. That's, oh yeah. That's
1: going to be a good one. That is going to be a good one. That, that one has my pick for bloodbath of the night. That's going to be messy. Do you guys
0: get 50 grand for that for bloodbath of the night? Well. Or do you just send them a band aid?
1: I think they get like, uh, some free tickets to the buffet at the <laughs> MGM grand, but it's a good buffet, man. It's a oh, good man. buffet.
0: Uh that makes it feel like you're fighting at Cage Fist forty two at the at the Buffalo Run Casino a more.
1: I always used to hate when when I was working for the IFL and we would go to Vegas uh, and you know, usually when we go work a show, they'd give you a per diem to eat on, and it was way more than I ever spent on food. So I ended up being able to pocket some cash, which was nice. But then when they w- we'd go to Vegas, it was always uh, buffet tickets, which is fine for like a day. Uh, but you know, when you're there for four days, and when you're, especially when you're at like the damn Orleans or something, where the buffet already is just like has food poisoning written all over it, you're not exactly doing me a favor by handing me like eight tickets to the nine Orleans meals at the Orleans <laughs> buffet. Hey,
0: roll the dice,
1: my friend. It's yeah. Vegas.
0: All right, well, let's do just saying stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, this week, I'm just saying, were we not paying attention when George St. Pierre said that he wanted to take this leave of absence because he needed to relax because... Like two days after it happens, I turn on my computer and I see that the fine people at TMZ Sports are doing their uh Stephen Morocco style journalism, following him around to the clubs and videotaping him uh, drinking coronas and dancing.
1: Now see, which, that's a bullshit movie. You know Not what? Calling somebody up, telling him a reporter and asking them questions.
0: That's right. I was that was a joke about Stephen Morocco there at the end. Uh I'm just saying I bet that's making George Saint Pierre feel
1: real relaxed. <laughs> Well, Chad, I'm just saying. I'm sure you heard this week that uh, Chuto Brazil was talking about having a a ed MMA fight, a man taking on a woman. Uh, Did I? <laughs> and it all it seemed suspicious from the get-go when uh, Andre Pederneres, uh, the the president of Chuto Brazil, who also is the you know the head guy over at uh, Team Nova, you now. Uh, wouldn't reveal the rules had some kind of mysterious remark about how the rules would be made clear, like by the, by the weigh-ins or by the day of the fight, uh, everything would be safe. Don't worry. We're going to be fine. Of course, the commission was saying, even this commission in Brazil was saying, no, yeah, we're not going to let that happen. Generated some headlines, uh, Uh, Even, you know, places like Huffington Post and Jezebel were onto it. Uh, And then it was revealed, oh, it was all a publicity stunt to raise awareness for domestic violence. The point that we're supposed to see, I guess, is that, hey, it would be ridiculous for a man to fight a woman in a cage, therefore it would be ridiculous for you to beat up your wife. Uh, I'm just saying, that seems to have missed the mark with the MMA community because, for one thing, when people heard about this proposed bout... I don't think the immediate assumption was that the woman has no chance. <laughs> I mean, we've seen Rio Heroes did this before, and the woman won the fight. And I mean, I think the, everybody didn't think that, hey, this is criminal. You know, you're, this is illegal. You're going to go around and, and, and fuck around and, and get some poor woman really badly hurt. I think everybody just thought it was dumb yeah, and stupid and probably fake. Just saying, I know your heart was in the right place there trying to raise awareness for domestic violence, but... Uh, there there are other things that make domestic violence bad other than just a gender discrepancy.
0: Yeah, just saying. Just I saying. always I felt like there was some ponderous logic going on there trying to raise awareness about domestic violence by booking a fight between a man and a woman.
1: Well, no, I was I was totally going to beat the hell out of my wife. And then I heard about that and I was like, oh, I had to totally rethink my position.
0: Well, that's going to do it for us this week. We're going to do this shit again next week, right? Before before New Year's? We'll do this one more time. This We'll be back on our normal schedule and record this next Monday. I do it? man.
1: It's up to you. I'm not going anywhere.
0: All right. We'll do this shit again next Monday. So one more from us before 2013 wraps up. As for right now, though, we're done. We are through. We are out.
1: You know what I think, though, would really uh, raise some controversy? Forget the man versus woman thing. It's been done, right? Man... Versus Pam. That's the Chris, fight everybody's always on. I was just going to tell
0: you the man the Chris Wyvern
1: versus Gorilla fight I was trying to make it. Yeah. Well, I think that that one.